great. Thank you guys for leading us in worship, gals. Why don't you guys get your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes. It's after Psalms, after Proverbs. Fourth Song of Solomon. Any votes on what we should study next? Psalms. Psalms? Revelation. Some revelation actions. Job. Yeah. Great. I can't disagree with all the biblical books. All three Johns, Jew, or Revelation. First Kings, Second Kings. Song of Solomon. It is the next book. Song of Solomon is the next book. Thank you. Thank you for all of those thoughtful and not so thoughtful suggestions. You know Judah's not a book of the Bible, though, right? Wait, but like, Is it a name in the Bible? Judah is a name in the Bible, yes. No, exactly. So it's the name in the Bible, so we should study Judah. Just Judah. Just take some time with Judah. Just look at it. There, you could really do a long study on Judah, actually. You're, you're not off base. Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. So we've got some good OT, got some NT coming up. Some Hosea. Yeah, we I, I we have not done a prophet since I have been here, so that'd be good. Awesome. Well, thank you. That was actually helpful. Good. <laughs> well, guys, we're at the end, at the end of the book here. So let's go ahead and let's read, um, and then we will um, go from here. We, we've had a few interruptions at the end here, um, so we have not gotten to chapter eleven or to chapter twelve. So today. Um, I am not, we're not going to look at 11, 1 through 6. You can save that for yourself. Um, it is uh, interesting. It's probably talking about making wise investments. Um, and there's probably some financial applications there as you look at these different wisdom, poetry, poems here. Um, but we're going to jump in on verse 7 of chapter 11, verse 7, and read to the end, okay? Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Isn't that the truth? Let's just, let's just pause as we read that. Isn't it nice to be out in the sun? And isn't it nice when you live in a place where the sun is warm? I'm not talking about here. <laughs> Actually, we just met a girl at the, uh, I was at breakfast with some of my buddies, applying Ecclesiastes. I mean, definitely applying Ecclesiastes as I sat with two of my college buddies, sipping down just endless cups of coffee and laughing about nothing. It was Ecclesiastes in application. Enjoy life. And it, it was great. And this girl was serving us, and she told us she, she's a Wheaton College student. And she was like, no way. You guys are like still meeting. You're like, you all went to Wheaton College. And actually, one of the guys was my RA. And then the two of us were on the floor together, still hanging out, having fun. Um, she said she's from S- Southern California. And the first winter she had was at Wheaton. And when the sun first came out during the winter, she like put on shorts and a T-shirt and was like, finally, the sun's out. And her roommates were like, what are you doing? She had no concept of it being sunny and bitterly cold. So 
Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Isn't that sweet? Rejoice in life. But let him remember that all the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. And what is that word vanity translating? Hevel. Hevel. And remember, we've, we've said hevel is this, it's, it's momentary, it's a paradox, it's hard to grasp hold of. So life, enjoy it, but remember that days of darkness will be many, all that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Or you might say, youth and the dawn of life are fleeting. They're quickly moving along and away from you. So enjoy them while you have them. And then he has this great poem about death. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. So this is kind of, he's, he's giving a picture of creation. You guys remember what happened at creation? God created the heavens and the earth and then he made light and darkness, the sun and the moon and the stars. But what's happening here is that the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are being darkened. Everything's coming to an end. It's all being unmade. And then we have some great metaphors here. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. You guys met someone with a tremor? You guys know what a tremor is? Older people have a hard time keeping their hands still. My great aunt had a tremor. And she insisted on still serving the table. Okay, so I was up in Vancouver, British Columbia, meeting my great aunt for probably only the second time in my life. And she was serving us tea and crumpets, okay? And, and I'd never seen like a muffin with about a quarter inch of cream cheese and then about a half inch of jelly on top of that. Just like, wow, that is gonna be awesome. <laughs> and boiling hot tea that she has in saucers and is serving over my lap to everybody. <laughs> like, oh please Jesus, don't spill it on me, right? So, This is imagery that we have here of old life. The keepers of the house tremble. Your hands are shaky. The strong men are bent. You guys seen an old man with legs that bow outward as they get older and older, right? Legs aren't standing up as straight as they used to. The grinders cease. Where are your grinders, do you think? Okay, your teeth, the grinders cease because they are few. Old men, they lose their teeth. Old women lose their teeth, okay? Um, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. What are, what, where are the windows of your body? Eyes. Yeah, where your light comes in, it comes dimmed, lose your eyesight. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird. <laughs> it's hard to sleep, you're waking up easy. And all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high. I, I heard someone here has ever seen this whole thing. <laughs> you know, right? 
The older you get going down those stairs, it's not as fun anymore. Okay, they're afraid of what is high. There's terrors in the way. Almond tree blossoms. You know what color almond tree blossoms are? White. Your almond tree is blossoming towards the end of your life. Okay. The grasshopper drags itself along. Those legs that used to be spry and, and strong and could jump are, are slow and dragging behind you. Desire fails. Right? When you ask old people, what do you want to do today? Nothing. I just want to sit in my chair. I just want to sit in my chair and read my book and, and kind of fall asleep. Desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken. Or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. Or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God. Who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. So we have this picture of life like a, a golden bowl, which is like a lamp, a golden bowl with a little light in it hanging from a silver cord. So it says, before the silver cord is snapped and the bowl comes crashing to the ground, before the pitcher at the fountain, so you've got like a jar um, that goes down into a well that's being pe- pulled up by a wheel, before the wheel is broken and the jar smashes, these are images of life. That life is coming to an end. It's fragile. It's going to fall apart. It's going to smash. And there's going to be no repairing it. Before all of that, remember God who gave you your spirit. And then he closes by saying, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. We should remember that phrase because that's how the book began. Verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. The very beginning of the book. And here he comes to his conclusion, all is vanity. And then we hear this voice. Besides being wise, the preacher, so now we're talking about the preacher, also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So how do we end this book? What are we, what are we supposed to get from the ending of this book? I think that we have two scenes here that we're studying. We have the epilogue, which is leading up to the, or sorry, the penultimate epilogue, leading up to the end of the book, and then we have the epilogue, which is the end of the book, okay? And so I just want you guys to remember three words as we study today. The first two are rejoice and remember. I think this is what he wants us to end the book by thinking about. Rejoice and remember. So let's just, we're going to move pretty quickly today um, and finish up our book. So he begins in verse 7, light is sweet, pleasant to the eyes, person sees many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. This is a twofold thing. We need to do both of these things at the same time. We need to rejoice and we need to remember. I've talked about one of the sweetest things for me in this book is learning to enjoy life. That God has given a command that we ought to rejoice. We ought to be people who enjoy life. And if we're going to enjoy life, do you think that means we should do it when I'm 21, when I'm 18, when I'm 16, when I'm 30, when I'm married, when I have kids? 
Should we enjoying life be out there? No. If we're really going to obey the command to enjoy life, we better get on with it. We better start enjoying life now because life is a gift. It's a gift from God and it would be wrong for us to not enjoy it. Does that resonate with you? Does that sound like that's not the Christianity that I grew up knowing? Like I thought I was supposed to like do the Ten Commandments, and if I didn't, like watch out for the lightning bolts. Okay, I hope not. But for some of us, that might be kind of a revolutionary thought. That God created you to enjoy this life that he's given you. If you took something away from this book, I would hope that that would be one of the things that you took away. That God wants you to enjoy life. One of the most basic ways you can actually start doing that is by exercising the gift of gratitude, of exercising the practice of being thankful for the things that you've been given and not as something that you do begrudgingly, like, oh man, Thanksgiving, I better come up with one thing I'm thankful for because someone's going to ask me. But on a daily basis, looking around and just being grateful and thankful for the things that the Lord has given you. So that's what I'm talking about when I talked about you know, my wife lets me go out and leave the kids with her and go sit down with my two buddies. And I mean, I can't even, I, I won't even recount the meaninglessness that we talked about. Just stupid stuff. And one of the, both these guys can make me laugh unlike other people can. And I just cracking up over silly stuff and sipping on coffee and eating an omelet. And it's just awesome. Enjoy life. You can enjoy life too. God gives you permission to enjoy the life that he has given you. The problem is we live in a world that entirely misunderstands what it means to enjoy life, right? And we're surrounded by this message of what it means to enjoy life, and it's entirely different than what God wants us to do in enjoying life. I don't need to go into all the details of, you know, the ways that the world tells us to enjoy life, um, because you guys see it every day on billboards and on TV commercials and, you know, in the temptations that approach you uh, at school, um, but life is meant to be enjoyed. So I want to use an analogy. Christmas is coming up. Um, I'm going to show you a video. I, I think these, these are cool. I found these at the Christmas market last yesterday. You already saw that. You have to watch that. You guys seen these?
So an analogy, Christmas is coming up. Let's say you get this gift for one of your brothers or sisters. It's something you build, okay? And then, I mean, that truck's crazy, right? It's got different, so many different gears in it. It can go in reverse. You can change the gears at the speed level and all that stuff. I think it's cool. You may not. You may think it's totally ridiculous. That's not the point, okay? The point is um, there's many ways that someone could receive that gift wrongly, right? There's many ways you could receive it wrongly. So first of all, you could get it and just be like, I don't want it. I want something else. Right? But the reality is, that's how a lot of us approach life. Okay? So if life is a gift from God meant to be enjoyed, a lot of us wrestle with discouragement and depression and downness, and we say things like, it's not the life I wanted. I didn't get what I wanted, and it's the wrong way to receive a gift. Okay? Or they could take it and they could smash it and they could use it for kindling and they could you know, play uh, monster trucks with it and, and, you know, just destroy it over time. And that is also a wrong way to receive the gift, right? And so that's kind of more on line with the hedonistic idea, which hedonism is you, you just do whatever feels good in life. That's how you enjoy life. You do whatever I want. Don't care what God says. And we, we end up blowing up our lives from the inside. So there's multiple ways we can receive a gift wrongly. Um, and yet God is saying... I've given you a gift. Your life is a gift, and you should enjoy it. Okay? So we need help to enjoy the life that God has given us, and that's where the second word comes in. Remember. There's something to be remembered, and as we remember, that is going to help us to follow the command to rejoice and to enjoy life. Um, In 11.8, he says this, Remember that all the days of darkness will be many. He's simply pointing to the fact that old age is coming, and then comes death. Remember that your life is limited, that it's short. And then he goes on in 11.10, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity, which I take to mean short-lived, they're a mist, they're, you don't have them for all, always, right? So, you know, don't take advantage. Don't take them for granted. You have, right now, you have the ability to do things with your body that you won't be able to do later on. So play football, Ride a bike. You know, like have fun. Run around. Do things that you won't be able to do because youth is short-lived. It is a mist. And remember also this. Your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. Why would it help to remember your creator? What does remembering your creator tell you? Well, it helps you to remember your place. What are you not? You are not the creator. You're not in charge. You're not God in your life. That in fact you were created. That you were created to do something. To live a certain way. To obey God. To follow his ways. And so remembering your creator in the days of your youth will help you to be able to rejoice rightly. To live life. To enjoy life in a way that is good and not destructive and doesn't uh, ignore the gift that you've been given. So live life in light of the end um, and live life in light of the fact that you are created. Well, then we finish up this poem and we get to the end um, and let's read verses nine. Let's look at verse nine again. So have your Bibles open. Look at verse nine. The preacher says, besides being wise... So actually, before I read that, 
Here's a question. We've come across a lot of interesting stuff in this book. Some stuff that is kind of hard to hear, some stuff that's kind of disturbing, some stuff that's kind of encouraging. What are we supposed to do with it? Are we supposed to say the preacher was kind of a grumpy old man and, you know, there's some wisdom in there, there's some that's not that good? Um, the end of the book helps us to answer that question of what we do with the rest of the book, okay? And it helps us to answer it because what we hear is another voice coming in and he is assessing the preacher who's been talking for the whole book. And here's what he says. He says, besides being wise, the preacher, so the preacher's wise, also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. Does that sound like a positive view of the preacher? He was very careful in how he arranged everything in this book. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Does it sound like we should listen to what he's saying? Yeah. Okay, when he says he wrote words of delight, one of the things he's saying that means is he, he wrote in a pleasurable way. He wrote in a way that was very uh, advanced. So for example, this poem, 12, 1 through uh, 8 here, this is a beautiful poem and a haunting poem. It's a beautiful poem and it's a haunting poem to read about the slowing down of the body and these metaphors of, of windows and grinders and um, the keepers of the house tremble. It's beautiful and it's haunting and it's, and it, you guys have studied poetry maybe in school and maybe you've tried to write some poetry. It's not easy. <laughs> and so there's something delightful about this book and that he was a wise man who wrote this and wrote it in a beautiful way. The words of the wise are like goads it says, they are like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. So what does that mean? Anybody know what a goad is? You don't use that word a whole lot. Okay, a goad um, is something that is a stick with maybe like a nail at the end of it, a couple nails on the end of it, and you use it as a shepherd to help keep your animals going where they need to go. And you do it not by scratching their back with it. You're such a good little sheep, I'm going to scratch you. No, you poke them, okay? And does it feel good for the animal? No, it doesn't. But it gets them to go where they need to go. And so what he's saying here is that the words of the um, preacher are kind of like that. Sometimes he says things that when you hear it, you're like, that doesn't feel good. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't give me like, isn't Christianity supposed to be like the warm, fuzzy feelings all the time? Like, oh, I just feel good. No. It's not. Okay, so it's like a goad. It's poking you, but it's for a purpose, to get you where you need to go, to keep you on the right path. And it's like nails firmly fixed. Okay, so that could be referring to the nails at the end of the goad that are poking you, or it could be saying wise words are like nails that keep things together through storms, through, through tough times. Okay, and you can hang wisdom like wisdom can be a nail in your life that you can hold on to and it's firmly fixed um, and it's not going to lose uh, its holding there. And they're given by the one shepherd. Okay, I think this is another reason we should listen to it is it's just saying this whole book is this wisdom that comes from one person and that's God, the one shepherd. So my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many words there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. I think this is a warning that's saying, what have we watched the preacher do? Well, we've watched the preacher wrestle and wrestle and wrestle with meaning and where is it? And he's gone so far to go down paths of you know, pleasure and despair and he's really 
messed himself up a little bit on times trying to get to the bottom of this and where is pleasure. And what this word is saying to us is just saying, take his word for it. You don't have to go down all those paths to figure out where there's meaning in life. I, I think I've told you guys about the conversation I had on an airplane one time with one guy, and no. he just uh, went on and on and on. He, he found out that I was a Christian, and he just went on and on and on about all the things I'd never experienced as a Christian. And it involved drug, sex, and rock and roll. And just was like, you know, how can you know that there isn't really meaning down this path if you've never tried it? And that's exactly the type of mentality that we're being warned against here. He's saying... Don't, you don't have to weary yourself trying all the wrong paths to find the right one. Listen to the preacher and go down the right path. And then he ends by saying the end of the matter. Here's the big conclusion. Here's where we get to. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So the way I put it like this, like this I think this book is about rejoicing while you remember that life is short and that you are created. And when you live life in this way, when you rejoice at what God's given you and you remember um, your limitations, what that really looks like is fearing God and keeping his commandments. That is the summary of what it means to live life well. To fear God and keep his commandments involves joyfully rejoicing at the fact that God is a good God. And he's given you good things and he's given you good commandments and he's taught you the way to life. Jesus says, I give you life and I'll give it to you abundantly. And yet at the same time, it's remembering that life is short, that life is a breath, that this is not all there is, that there's more to life coming. And at the end of the day, what does it say here? God will bring into judgment everything. So Ecclesiastes has done something for us or it ought to do something for us. It ought to prepare us to face life as it really is. So we've talked about how Ecclesiastes is teaching us that life is unfair at times, right? Life is unfair. Life is unpredictable. Even for those who follow God's commands. Even for those who do supposedly what's, what's right and love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, things still go wrong. Car accidents happen. People die. Diseases happen things still go sideways, not the way that you would want them to go. But what Ecclesiastes has done for us is it's helped us to come to grips with that reality, and it's given us commands to say you can still rejoice in the midst of life, no matter what's going on. You still need to remember that life is coming to an end, and know this, that even though life may seem incredibly unfair and unpredictable, it all is going to be made right at the end that God will bring everything into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So God brings it all uh, to a conclusion. God's the one who makes sense of all of it at the end. Now, as Christians, we have even more hope than just this last verse, because as Christians, we can add something to this, and it's this. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. He says, in light of Christ and what he's done, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, the reason this connects to Ecclesiastes is that last word. Your labor is not in vain. And what has Ecclesiastes said? Vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. And so what we see as Christians 
is not only that life is not entirely vain because God is going to bring everything into judgment, which is what Ecclesiastes says, but that actually we don't have to wait for judgment to live a life that is not in vain. Because Christ, the work that he has called us to, any time that we do what it says is the work of the Lord, any time we do what is in obedience to God's will, every time we do that, it's not in vain. It's actually accomplishing something that is real and lasting and isn't going to fade away with our death. Does that make sense? Let me hit that a little bit more. Um, my brothers be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because... God's kingdom, God's eternal kingdom that is going to last forever, that is inaugurated with Christ's return, has started now. And it started through Jesus coming to earth. The king has come and started his kingdom. And it advances every time one of you or me chooses to live in obedience to that kingdom and doing what that kingdom says that we're supposed to do. And so every time we do that, we're advancing the kingdom and that work is not in vain because this kingdom that we're advancing is the kingdom that is actually never going to end. And even when we die, that kingdom is going to keep going on and we're going to be a more a part of that kingdom than we ever were before. And so when you do the work of the Lord, your work is not in vain. Okay, so as Christians, we have even more hope than the preacher had at the end of his book. So the end of the day, we're prepared to live life as it really is by studying the book of Ecclesiastes. We can see that life is unfair and it doesn't have to shake our foundations. It doesn't have to make us uh, re- like tear us down and make us feel like there is no hope, that life, God really isn't out there. In fact, God is out there. He's going to bring things to right on Judgment Day and he's already started doing it through Christ and you can be a part of it. You can be a part of what he's doing by obeying Christ and doing the work of the Lord. Okay? So that's the book of Ecclesiastes for us. I hope that it's been encouraging for you. Let's go ahead and pray, and we will get excited about brunch next week and what's coming after that. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would um, fill our hearts with just the joy that this, this, this book gives to us. That in fact, realizing that life is vanity, that it's a mist, that it's fleeting, that it's passing, that it is oftentimes a paradox, an enigma, Lord, that all of that um, finds its answer in you and the fact that you uh, will bring all things into judgment. Help us to live with that perspective and help it to drive us to live um, in light of our death and in light of judgment and even more so in light of the kingdom of God, which has come in Christ. And help us to be people who um, do the work of the Lord, which is not in vain. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.